Welcome, bienvenido to Santopia Podcast. Healthcare in the United States can be difficult to navigate. We explore the barriers to our personal health and how we can overcome them. With the help from our friends, demystifying misconceptions, inspiring you with our stories, and empower you with our expertise. Join us as we spanglish our way through healthcare. I'm Dr. Irene Lazarus, and we hope to educate, advocate, and empower you. On today's episode, we have Dr. Michael McCullen, a board-certified obstetric gynecologist that practices in Grand Prairie, Texas, and an expert in women's health and hormone replacement therapies. We talk about polycystic ovarian syndrome, otherwise known as PCOS. We talk about how it presents, some of the treatment options, and some misconceptions around oral contraceptives that can apply to any woman. Hopefully you enjoy the episode, and if you guys are wanting more women health topics, we can invite Dr. McCullen again. And please take a look at Dr. McCullen's website at mrmgyn.com. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, Dr. McCullen, and thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and to bestow all your knowledge of obstetric gynecology uh, to us today. I wanted to start off with you introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about yourself and how we met. Hi, I'm Dr. Michael McCullough. I'm board certified in obstetrics and gynecology, finished residency in 1991, so I've been in practice for the past 28 years or so. This time, my practice is focused on gynecology, and I do not do obstetrics anymore, so we primarily deal with gynecology, hormone issues, and gynecologic Mm -hmm. surgery. I met Irene at Mission Arlington, where I volunteered for the past 22 or 3 years now, and she's been kind enough to be my interpreter and assistant and leading me through the the jungles of uh, mission work. (laughs) So... Anyway, happy to be here today, Irene. Yes, thank you so much. Well, I brought Dr. McCullen on because I made a survey out there on the Nextdoor app to ask about what the community wanted to hear about. And surprisingly, a lady got back with me and said that she really wanted to know about PCOS and in particular about how she can reduce her weight. As we know, as doctors, we know that PCOS has an element of overweight or obese. I'm so glad for that audience member to reach out and to tell us that. So I'm here to deliver that to them. And Dr. McConnell was nice enough to kind of piggyback on this. Join us today. I'm so excited about it. So we're going to elaborate more than just talking about weight or being obese with a person who has PCOS. Since we already have the expert here, we want to get a good, I guess we would say this episode, the goal would be to identify, do you have PCOS and what is it? By the end of this episode, you will kind of know, okay, I might need to go in to make an appointment because of all these things and then kind of some solutions and explanation of probably why there's classic features in the disease as from a perspective of your practice for the last 28 years. Right. Yeah. All right. So PCOS, as it's commonly known, stands for polycystic ovary syndrome. It has other synonyms that it goes by as well, but it's uh, PCOS is the most common. Yeah. It's technically not a disease. It is more of a, a syndrome, syndrome and probably yeah. you were born with the inherent problem in the first place. Mm-hmm. Some will guesstimate that maybe up to 10% of women have PCOS. 10%. And, but that number will vary anything from 5 to 12%. So it, it in just, the population. It, yes, it depends on who you read as, as to what that number is. 
That's pretty big, it, though. It is. It's a. It's a, a lot of women. You think ten percent uh, may possess this problem. It, it is characterized, again, depending on which study you read, by three primary things. One is, is the majority of the women tend to be obese or at least overweight. Number two is, is that the majority of the women do not have regular periods in that they do not ovulate on a regular basis. And some will almost not ovulate at all. So consequently, they may have periods that are three months apart, four months apart, or maybe not at all. And so that's called anovulation when you don't ovulate an egg every month. The lion's share of the majority of the women do. Yeah. And a woman wouldn't know that she's ovulating. It'd be it'd just be the fact that she has a periods that are irregular. Right. From from her standpoint, it would be that, you know, I'm missing periods. And I may miss two months or three months. You know, why am I missing periods? Well, from a gynecologic standpoint, it is because most women aren't ovulating if they're not having periods. Mm-hmm. Or if you don't have periods, then you're probably not ovulating. So look at either direction. Mm-hmm. The third portion mm-hmm. of this diagnosis is going to be an excess of male hormone. This may may manifest itself with things like acne, hair growth, mm-hmm. even things like clitoral enlargement. It can be an excess of male hormone. Mm-hmm. It, but some will have no, none, none of these, of these symptoms, symptoms at at all. But those, that's kind of the general triad of, of diagnosis, and that is obesity, anovulation, or my periods are infrequent or not at all, and the hormonal aspect would be too much male hormone. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the general basis of diagnosis. And so then we can kind of spin off in whatever direction you want to go from there. So I, um, I would want to elaborate on that. I, for the ladies out there that are listening, I had a friend who actually had none of these, these, uh, you know, That's right. <laughs> that, and It'll she was, I'm like, what? You have PCOS? And yeah. she's like, yep. Because I think it distills down to the definition. The definition for you to be classified is a clinical diagnosis. Like we were talking about la- right. la- last week when we were in the clinic that you could look not anything of what we're talking about. But if we look on an ultrasound, you have polycystic ovaries, you're not ovulating. That's enough to define clinical that's, diagnosis. Well, uh, outside of the fact that you're not heavy, outside of the fact that you right, might not have, right. but you can still have it because of this is the distilling route mm-hmm. that makes you PCOS. And not, not everybody that, that, has polycystic ovary syndrome fits the classic diagnostic criteria. On the other hand, so what Dr. Lazarus is referring to is is that if you do a transvaginal ultrasound on somebody and you see their ovaries on the ultrasound and they have this what we call classic cyst on the ovaries, multiple cysts on the ovaries that lay in a certain configuration that that is compatible with polycystic ovary syndrome. The problem with it is that you can take people who have normal fertility and if you just, for whatever reason, are doing a vaginal ultrasound on them and you happen to see this particular array of polycystic ovary ring on the ovary, Mm -hmm. they don't have PCOS. So that's where it throws a wrench Mm -hmm. into it, okay? So you can have people who have normal fertility, who have normal periods, yet their ovaries appear to have polycystic mm. features. So that is the reason that we don't use clinical or laboratory or, or to, to, to make the diagnosis. Right. It is they're trying to come up with concrete laboratory methods to diagnose and, PCOS, and that's but it still doesn't <laughs> happen yet. Okay, mm-hmm. so we're still not there yet. Mm-hmm. Good. We'll see. That's why I'm bringing, you guys, bringing the expert on here, guys. <laughs> 
All right. So let's uh, go into the element of weight gain and why that's an issue and how that can be transferable into cardiovascular disease. So the majority, again, not all, but the majority of the women that have polycystic ovary syndrome have a weight problem. And you can almost liken PCOS to a person who has non-insulin dependent adult onset diabetes. They, they, those two tend to mirror each other. And certainly if you have PCOS, you are at increased risk of non-insulin dependent diabetes later in life or even currently. And so even in my own practice, if I make a diagnosis of PCOS, I always screen those patients for diabetes because I know that they are at higher risk for diabetes and they tend to respond to medications that, that we use to treat diabetes. Uh, such as metformin, which is a very common oral medication to treat non-insulin-dependent diabetes. We know that in women who have PCOS, that even modest reduction in body weight can significantly affect their disease or, or their syndrome. I, should, right. I want to get away from the word disease. <laughs> their, their syndrome. So in women who are trying to get pregnant who have PCOS, one of the first things that we tell them to do or try to have them do is to lose weight because even modest weight losses of 5 to 10% may make the difference between a woman who ovulates versus a woman who doesn't oh, ovulate. Wow. So that's Absolutely. what you mean. That's what you mean by respond, like responding to treatment. A treatment. The is that they are able to ovulate more regularly. That That is correct. So, Even though that's kind of weird because I know the people outside that don't understand this is that metformin is treating, di it's actually for diabetes, but in this case is the unique kind of benefit, side benefit from using this medication for a secondary that's right. It's a secondary use because it may improve ovulation. And there are other medications that we can use to improve ovulation in women who have PCOS. But first and foremost is, and everybody that you read in, in the literature is, number one, lose some weight. It will help the overall package in your response to any other treatment. So it makes it more difficult if you if you don't lose weight and remain the same. And then we're trying to treat you versus losing some weight, and it makes our, the response to the medication even better. Losing weight may not be the entire answer, but it's going to be a big portion of what we want to do. Mm -hmm. As far as as losing weight... Yeah, because I'm saying, that sounds easy. It, it does but sound it's not. easy, but, but it is uh, hard to impossible for many to do that. And I, I am not a weight loss expert, and I'll be the first to admit to that, although I <laughs> counsel people daily on it. What works, first and foremost... It's diet and exercise. It always gets back to to eating right, actually burning some calories in the day and not sitting on your rear, getting out and having some sort of organized exercise activity. Caloric restriction or watching what you eat is very important. I have people, you know, watch their carbohydrate calories since mm -hmm. the majority of the women kind of throwing them into that generalized group. But women in this category tend to consume way too many processed carbs or sugars or processed flour mm -hmm. or rice or white potato. Pick your tortillas. poison, but it all kind of goes <laughs> into the same category is you have to watch the processed of carbohydrates. Yeah. yeah it, and especially since they're already at risk for diabetes. They, exactly. These the, women in particular. So think about just looking out, go on Google on your phone, diabetic diet. What does absolutely. that mean? And then just follow that. Absolutely. I, and, and, and that hits Even the though, nail on the yeah. head is that 
I have a handout in my office. It is the diabetic type diet, and it is really watching the carbohydrates and emphasizing healthy proteins, mm-hmm. nuts, and, and, and the healthy fats. And we hear the word fats in and of themselves aren't particularly bad, but you need to watch certain types of fats and concentrate on the healthy fats like uh, the, the olive oil and uh, avocado oils and the, uh, omega-3. That's the, right. the things that are high in omega-3s. And that helps cardiovascular risk that's as right. well. So. That's right. And laying off of saturated fats like, like mm-hmm. lard. And, yeah. And, no, no Crisco, guys. Yeah. And, and easy on that type of <laughs> Olive of oils. Fry your yeah, olive, olive oil. Olive <laughs> oil good. Things like peanut oil and vegetable oils are A little better, healthy. but not, you know. Yeah. If, it, with the oil, if, if you can pour an oil at room temperature, it is way healthier yes. than a fat that you can't pour at room temperature. So just AKA think Crisco. of it like that. <laughs> that's right. Crisco <laughs> and the fat that's in your meat. Uh-huh, right. Okay. So, you know, again, if you can pour your oil slash fat, then that is going to be a healthier oil or fat for you than one that you cannot pour that is solid at room temperature. So that kind of simplifies that. You want to migrate mm-hmm. towards that. Right. You have to add some sort of organized exercise. You have to burn some calories. It's like a combination of eating and the exercise. That's right. It is a combination of both. And in people who are, who are ultimately unsuccessful in this and their body mass index and that, that they're very overweight, they may even consider some sort of bariatric surgery of which this current time, the gastric sleeve seems to be the most popular and seems to be um, and it's very successful. And, the, and that's the reversible. No. The the, the gastric yeah. sleeve is not reversible. Oh, yeah. okay. I I'm think that lap band. Bl- lap band I'm, is the one I'm that... Pulling the bl- <laughs> <laughs> I was pulling a blank. I'm sitting there looking right at it in my brain. So the, the, the lap band is it, reverse, yeah, reversible. The you, can, you can take it out and, and remove it. But the lap band of in, in modern history here has pretty much fallen out of favor. And I don't know any of the bariatric surgeons doing that, that are doing anymore, it now. Anymore. It, it was popular back in early 2000s and all that. But now the gastric sleeve has pretty much taken over that. Because you stop and you think, obesity isn't a temporary event in my life. You're, if, if you have obesity, yes, you're right. always going to be struggling with, the weight, per, struggling um, with, with it. Or you're always going to have the tendency towards being overweight. It's, obesity is like diabetes. It's like PCOS. This isn't a temporary event. A chronic disease. You know, that's right. It is a chronic process that will never go away. Right. You have to deal with it. And so finding ways to control your weight, whether it's through diet and exercise or whether it's through some sort of bariatric surgical mm-hmm. process, okay, but, but you need to start with something. You know, the medications that are out there have been notoriously poor in the long run of giving you good long-term control of your weight because the medications are temporary. Your problem is permanent. Mm -hmm. So what happens, you know, I can, I can make you, I can make you skinny and not want to eat for the next three months. But what happens when I stop the medication, (laughs) then you're right back to the same old thing because you haven't changed anything else. You haven't changed your mindset. You haven't changed your, your ways. And, and so you'll be right back. And that's kind of that yo-yo thing. You, you know, you're down, you're up, you're down, you're up, you're down, you're up. And when you're up, you tend to be higher than you were the time before. So your weight kind of keeps creeping up and up and up. And so what was 160, now you're at 240 and 
it, you know, it's mm-hmm. just a never ongoing struggle. Mm-hmm. So nice. anyway, I wish I had the magic answer to the weight loss thing. It's vitally important, uh, but you need to start with the basics and the basics are diet and exercise. Yeah. And in your office, I bet that's been kind of what you've been recommending and that seeing, putting on people on metformin and then kind of watching them over time. Well, the, from, from a treatment standpoint, okay, so we, we've talked a little bit about kind of what constitutes the, the diagnosis of PCOS. Right. And we talked about one phase of treatment. treatment. And the first and, and foremost right. is you need to lose some weight. Okay. So what else besides right. that? Well, then there are various medications. From a gynecology standpoint, the first and foremost is unless there is some sort of contraindication, I put almost everybody on oral contraceptives, the birth control pill, la pastilla, whatever you want to call it, because (laughs) they need cycle control. And the birth control pill calms the hormones that we don't want. So the male hormones that your ovaries are making too much of the birth control pill tends to calm that down. Mm-hmm. So if you're growing hair in places you don't want it, and uh, if you have acne, if you're not ovulating regularly, if your periods aren't regular, well, the birth control pill tends to kind of override your system and kind of make things right. It does, mm-hmm. not, does not obviously make you more fertile because the purpose of the birth control pill Got is it. to keep you from getting Correct. pregnant. So, but... But that's just one, what everybody associates that use with. And what we're going to be educating people here on today is that it's sometimes has a more valid reason for these other, for these right. other things that we're saying. Right. And that women are suffering with these things right. that, and this is another use for them. Correct. E- even in women who aren't sexually active and, and don't need, quote, birth control, uh-huh. if they come in, because you know what, those women have PCOS too. Uh, if they come in and say, I don't need birth control, why are you putting me on the birth control pill? Mm-hmm. You know, well, the birth control pill has many medicinal uses other than pregnancy prevention. prevention. Your menstrual cycle control, rather than having the ad lib, you don't know when your cycle is coming, versus having a nice, short, sweet, regular cycle each month, which from a gynecology standpoint, I would prefer. Not having a menstrual cycle on your own may increase your risk later on in life of things of what we call endometrial hyperplasia or even a cancer of the lining of the uterus, which is called endometrial cancer. And so we want to prevent things like that later on in and that's life. that's serious. That's right. And, and, that's and, and women who and have a weight problem yeah. and who don't have regular periods They're are at, at increased risk. risk. That's, that's right, of later on in life. So we want to prevent those things from happening. A lot of trending things are happening in the media and like there's some people who are very concerned and they say, I don't care that the pill is for something else. I'm not, that's not my religious belief or my stance, but just to kind of hear from the horse's mouth, even if that's their idea and that's their thought, we're not trying to convince you of otherwise. But I think our duty to right now is to explain what are the true risks of oral contraceptives because sometimes they say, well, oh, it's horrible for your body. Can you dismystify or can you really put it in, in, in check what really are the risks of taking up uh, an oral contraceptives and why it could be dangerous? But then also demystify the fact that no, it is not harmful for the body. As people right. are leading to believe on social media and some videos. Uh, so right. I want to give you that platform. So oral contraceptives. In 99% of the population out there, oral contraceptives are very safe. And in my line of work, what we compare 
oral contraceptives or, or any type of contraception too is the, the risk of the contraceptive product or uh-huh. agent versus the risk of pregnancy. Okay. Mm-hmm. So pregnancy in and of itself has inherent risk. You know, your, your risk of blood clots goes up immensely when you are pregnant. It does a fraction when you're on birth control pill, but it goes way up when you're pregnant. Pregnancy has all kinds of risk to life and limb and, and versus the risk of any of the types of, of contraception. So my, my philosophy is, is that if you take two Irenes out there, both who are 25 <laughs> years old, one is not on any medication and the other is on oral contraceptives. And you follow those Irenes over the next 10 years of their life. And you look at their various medical problems mm-hmm. and their risk of pregnancy and various other things. If you take the, the Irene that is on the birth control pill, she has fewer medical problems. She is, has fewer gynecologic problems. She bleeds less. She cramps less. Her hormones are in check. And she tends to be healthier than the Irene that has not been on any birth control pills at all. So that's when it comes to the birth control pill. So combined oral contraceptives. I have nuns that are on the birth control pill that I've had on the pill for years. Oh, really? Because they don't need birth control. They need cycle control. And they like their periods where they don't bleed as much and where they don't cramp as much. And their headaches aren't as bad than the ones who aren't taking the pills. So we, we say birth control pill, but... It's a, would, it's a loaded term. It's a it, very it tarnished, really is uh, kind of a loaded but you're, term. I want you to... That's why I'm so right. glad you're explaining this. Right. Because you're not saying that it's, it doesn't have any risk, but that would be saying the same thing for any medication. Well, the, But you're putting it in context of... Right. The risks the risk are extremely small. And if, if I have a mother that brings her daughter in here and she's 14 years old and she has horrible periods and... Maybe and it's I, interfering with her daily function. That's right. That's that's very she's, she's missing school because yeah. of it. Or, or she's sitting in the bathtub curled up in a ball in, in hot water because she's she's so uncomfortable with her periods. And I put her on the pill and all of a sudden, three months later, it's like, oh my God, mommy, my, my periods, you know, they last two days and I'm not cramping hardly at all. And I'm so much happier on this. Well, I don't stop the pill at that point. You know, I leave her on the pill and I have, I have young ladies that I've had on the pill since they're 14 years old and they're 25 years old now and they've never stopped it a day. You know why? Because she's not ready to start a family. So until she is, why stop something that's working so well for her? So there is no, I have to give my body a break from the pill. That like is a, a holiday? It is like a myth. It is an The abs- holiday myth? That's right. Because, I, I mean, this true that we actually, in the internal medicine world and other... That's right. You do, you a holiday would be good. Holi- okay, let me clarify what that means. That's a very uh, doctor term. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Behind the scenes. Yeah. So a holiday uh, term would mean that basically you take a break from it. You don't take the medication and then kind of restarted at a later time That's right. that for a great perfect example of this to stay on the woman's health topic classic example of this holiday would be like osteoporosis medication sometimes you'd be taking and taking and taking it but you need to be off of it for it not to lose its effectivity or something like that continuous use and that is a classic example of that and then you put them back on right point well made and and with oral contraceptives in in somebody who is doing well on the pill there, there's there's two reasons to stop the pill. Okay. One is you're trying to get pregnant, okay, or you desire pregnancy, mm-hmm. okay. So obviously that is a reason to stop the pill. The other reason is, is that your gynecologist 
has given you a medical reason that you need to stop the pill and switch to something else. And and I'm not going to get all into the, the medical reasons, right. but unless somebody who knows what they're talking about has given you a medical reason that you need to stop the pill and switch to another form of contraception, there is no reason to stop the pill. Nowadays, the pill is generic in many cases. You can get a good pill for nine bucks a month. So money is no reason to, to stop the pill. Okay, mm-hmm. because it's relatively dirt cheap. Giving your body a pill holiday is not a reason to stop the pill. You like your cycles, they're under control, and to think that they're going to get better when you stop the pill, that is a myth. You're going to tend to go back to your old ways. And so uh, we, we encourage, if you're doing well on the pill, stay on your medication. And I don't care if it's been five years, Same. 10 years, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just for the girls out there that might be concerned or on the fence of doing that and they're suffering with their symptoms and they're kind of wanting to decide, once you're on a medication like a, this particular, the um, oral contraceptives for a long time and then you get off or whatever it is you get off for to start the, the valid reasons you said, just even those. What is the effect of being on a medication like that for all you? Like, good like, good what, question. Yeah. You know, for the girl out there who's right. like, well, what am I doing to my body since right. it's being controlled by a pill? What, what are the things that I'm messing with right. in my body? Great question. All right. Because a lot of people think that being on the pill for an extended period of time mm-hmm. is going to decrease their fertility later in life. Oh, okay. It, it is, That's like it, one of the it, common it is, um, the uh, things that they're concerned about. That, oh, yeah. Your, it's, a, it's a big concern. And, and, and it's absolute, oh, it's, yeah, it is absolute true. street talk and, <laughs> and, and internet blog top talk that, <laughs> oh, I was on the pill for, for 10 years and now I can't get pregnant. Well, oh, yeah. I've heard of that. Oh, yeah. That's not you, true. You know, That's the, not true. the, Yes, you may have been on the pill for 10 years, and yes, you may not be able to get pregnant, but it was irrelevant whether you were on the pill or not. The bottom line is you just can't get pregnant or you haven't gotten pregnant yet. So being on the pill and the duration that you're on the pill does not affect your fertility when you stop the pill. So being on the pill for two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years does not affect your fertility when you stop the pill. So either you have fertility or you don't have fertility, but whether, how long you have been on the pill is, is irrelevant. And it's really important because a lot of people, they mm-hmm. give their bodies break thinking that, well, I'm not going to be able to get pregnant someday because I've been on the pill for five years. No, not mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. All right. Stay this is a great conversation. on your pill <laughs> because it is not hurting your fertility later in life. Listen, there, ladies. There listen. is no, there, there is no form of reversible contraception sold in this country today that makes you less fertile when you stop that form of contraception. Mm-hmm. And it is irrelevant as to how long you have been on it. Mm-hmm. All right. And I might throw one caveat in there, and that is the three month Depo Provera injection may delay your ovulation coming back by a year or so. All right. Okay. But it, after that time period, it all tends to come back the same one way or the other. Right. It, because from my understanding, the, the oral contraceptives are just, it's kind of um, sinking our, I don't know if people know out there that your menstruation is actually a function of several organs 
in in a whole concert is your brain talking to your ovaries and your you know it's a constant feedback loop and these in these pills are just regulating this cycle this kind of cycle and leveling out the hormones is actually helping your already natural state of a PCOS lady yeah. that might be already out of whack so it's actually yeah. helping the cycle it's not altering it for life or right. and it's not also doing the opposite like giving you more fertility it's not it's no. not doing that that is correct the pill any any treatment for polycystic ovary syndrome doesn't cure the disease it controls Control the symptoms. problem right all right right now, so it doesn't mean so when a person wanting a pcos lady is trying to get pregnant so they get off the pill they're still going to be at looking at the same options of a person that's having fertility problems like those they may options. they may and you might have to consider the metformin part as we were talking earlier to kind of help along with that before you go into more invasive things that's for, right they, they may need they may they may need some assistance assistance yeah getting pregnant although i i've delivered hundreds and hundreds of babies of women who have polycystic ovary syndrome who says, well, you know, I had no problem at all getting pregnant. And you will find those people left and right out there because guess what? Even people that have polycystic ovary syndrome will ovulate on occasions. And if you happen to have sex and get pregnant or, or ovulate at the time that mm -hmm. you're having sex, well, guess what? She can get pregnant too. So just because you, you have PCOS doesn't mean you have infertility. You might have decreased fertility, but you don't particularly have infertility. No, yeah, no fer, yeah. So it may be, it may be more difficult for you to get pregnant. It may take you longer to get pregnant, but it doesn't mean you can't get pregnant. So people who are not trying to get pregnant who have PCOS, Lord knows, use birth control because you will wake up pregnant when you least expect it. <laughs> You're saying and you're giving you your disclosure to them. <laughs> I, I can tell you that by experience. He says, well, I didn't think I could. I hear that all the time. Yeah. I didn't think I could get pregnant. Well, I, you know, it didn't come out of my mouth. You know, that was just, <laughs> you're on the internet again, you know. On the internet again, yeah. 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 This Wrong is so exciting. Uh, I mean, this discussion is so great. I've, I've, heard, I've seen so many things on social media, media and a lot of, like, what do we do? What does it mean? And I feel like... I bet for a lady that is out there that has this or has been on the fence, this would be very insightful for them. And even actually relieving all these things that I'm hearing are not real in that they have some sense of clarity. Right. And I, I feel so privileged for you to do this. I feel this well, is thank amazing. You, Dr. Lazarus, that's really kind of you to say. Yeah, you're, we you're know how many this. girls you're We could talking. talk about this all day long, you know. I mean, it, so we're, we're, we're barely scratching the, the surface, surface right. of, of this whole topic. And so yeah. I don't know if you want to carry on or if you want to uh, maybe make a phase two of PCOS. Yeah, we will. What, audience, you guys going to have to let us know. We'll bring Dr. McCullen again. Right. It, you're guys I'll be gonna... happy to return because we can, like I say, this is a, a, a kind of a never-ending topic, topic and, it, and yeah. it affects a lot of people yes. out there and, and we've barely scratched the surface of it. So I guess I'll, we'll go into the last two questions. One would be for that, maybe for that PCOS lady suffering out there. What what do you have to say to them if you have them right here in front of you and to give them some encouraging words from your point of view? Let's start off with that question and then we'll finish with the final one. All right. Well, Encouraging words—that's a, a tough one, and I, and I really would mm -hmm. have to approach that from from a totally different angle. Okay. And that is, we are all born with imperfections. All right, okay. so none of us are perfect, and uh, some people I don't know have 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 feet problems. Some people have headaches. Some people wear glasses. Some people teeth are crooked. Some people—I mean, we we've all got our 
our imperfections that we have to live with. And PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, a propensity to diabetes, a propensity towards high blood pressure, whatever, pick your poison. We're all born with with our own issues and we have to learn to live with those issues. And so if we have polycystic ovary syndrome and... We know that we're at increased risk of obesity. We know that we're in yeah. increased risk of high blood pressure later in life, of diabetes. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you have to be proactive. Yes. And so taking yes. control over your life mm-hmm. when you're 20 versus dealing with high blood pressure, morbid obesity, and diabetes when you're 40, it is it is all about taking control. So the encouraging and I suffer, thing is... And I can't even suffer just because... You know, you just, well, they said there's no cure. Well, then I guess I'm just going to suffer. And I don't want to do this because I don't know the risk and it's too dangerous. Not going into a doctor and never addressing it is not going to make it go away. No, it's, it's, you you, you can't change who your parents are. Yeah. You can't change your gender. (laughs) You can't change your race. Yes. You can't change your ethnicity. Yes. You can't change your age. All right. So you've got to live with it. And, mm-hmm. and so if you have to live with it, I guess you have to learn how to deal with it in the healthiest way possible. So you can live long enough to see your grandkids grow up or whatever life adventures you want to strive mm, towards right. out there. But what you do today is going to make a difference in how long you live and in what condition you are living in the future. Yes, I I couldn't agree more. From my point of view as an internal medicine doc, you know, and that's my past experience, I would say it's the same that some people are so scared of having something or it's just they're just in shock and they don't they feel everything's being questioned. Like, well, what am I putting in my body? What is and that is okay. And sometimes us doctors might not have enough time to kind of go into it's going to be fine because like how we did today and right. the reasoning why we're saying it's going to be okay because we know we know the statistics. You said all those things because you've read it in articles. You know, it's not just coming from your anywhere. It's, it's coming from the research-backed information. Right. And But we just don't have all that time. We've already been talking for like about 30 minutes about this. Imagine doing this every time with someone. It's impossible. So I just want you to guys, as again, like I said, I created this podcast to empower the listener and with resources of people who actually know what they're talking about. And that by listening to this, this encourages you to find more information and go to the right resources, not the wrong resources. Right. And knowledge is power. One last caveat is, is that even among doctors and, and just because you're a physician does not particularly make you an, an, an expert, expert in everything. Exactly. In, in everything. And, and, yes. and so I, I think that it's important that if you have specific issues or questions, yeah. maybe concerning, but you know, most people don't go to their gynecologist because their diabetes is out of control. Well, most people don't go to their internist because their PCOS is, uh, or their infertility or their menstrual periods are out of control. So tend to migrate towards people that have expertise in, in the problem that you have. Uh-huh. And because there are a lot of different opinions, well, even um, among gynecologists, yes. even among people that are, that are supposedly experts in, in the, the field that you seek, you will get different opinions in all all, you know, in, in polycystic ovary syndrome, in infertility, in contraception. So just choose it, whatever it is out there, but you will always get different opinions. And, and of course, and that's what you, that's what you want when you see a doctor is you want their opinion. But don't be surprised if you see one quote expert and you get a, a, 
an opinion, and then you see another expert, and you get a different opinion. So being an informed, informed. consumer exactly. on the other, consumer slash patient mm-hmm. on the other end, and and making yourself knowledgeable with the with the correct information out there, I think is very very important because in the end, it's all about you. It is you. It is your body. You're the one that has to take the pill, not me. You're the one that has to lose the weight, not me. Well, maybe me, but (laughs) in the end, it is you that Mm -hmm. that this is about. Yes. And And think about it as like PCOS. I think like you were saying, it's it's your process, your syndrome, and you need to live your best life. Just because you have this doesn't mean you have to suffer forever. And you should not let yourself be dictated by all this naysayer saying about, oh, this is wrong, that or that. At the end of the day, you have to make your decision. But you're not going to be able to make a good decision. If you don't even try or investigate further. That's right. It's all about education. And and that education is ultimately on your shoulders. You know, you're yes. you can spend fifteen minutes in front of your physician and they can educate you to to a, a certain extent, but in the end, you're the one that is going to have to get out there and find the correct information and mm-hmm. going to the well-respected websites and read about your issue. And, and polycystic ovary syndrome is just one thing. I mean, it, regardless of what medical problem you may possess, you have to, to educate yourself on this. And you cannot rely on somebody spoon-feeding you because nobody has the time to do that. And you can see we've been talking for a while here about it and we, and we barely scratched the surface and, and, you know, I need to see more than one patient a day in order to make this machine work. And mm-hmm. so there's a limited amount of time that we can spend talking about this. And I rely on you as a, as a, an engaged, intelligent individual to do your own research as well. Yes. Well, you were just mentioning about going to some re, uh, websites. Maybe you can state them here um, so the lady can go to a specific gynecological website that you know that it'd be reliable. You want to yeah. say it? I, I can give you a few, although websites that I go to are really not accessible by the lay public per yeah. se. I tend to send patients to webmd.com. They're pretty good about reviewing the information that is put on that site. And it's, and, and you can, you can search anything under webmd.com, but they ha- tend to have a pretty good reputation and they don't accept a lot of, in my opinion, sort of a, a comments on there. So webmd.com is a generally a pretty good site for the lay public to lay go public. to. Yeah, Met, I like Medscape for those who are a little more wanting to understand the why uh, behind. That may be cut, better. And yeah. understand this a little, but it's a little complex and there's, there's statistics on there, and but it's reliable for the lay public if they're, you know, college level and they want to understand more and what would be a benefit or risk of another right. thing. But the, that, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the, the last, what well, I'd like to say the last, I only have two in my brain that I'm thinking about right uh-huh. now. The American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, acog.org, acog.org. They have a public side of their website and they have a professional of the physician side of their website. And yeah. the public does have access to a lot of, of information. Right. And ACOG, ACOG, dot org, and it would be a reliable site to go to to for women's health for issues. women. That's exactly right for women's health issues, not just certainly not just PCOS, but the vast array of things that that deal with being a woman. <laughs> well, thank you so much, and let's have you have the last question, which is any closing remarks that you would like to say or tell the audience. 
emphasizing some things that we've already covered, and that mm-hmm. is polycystic ovary syndrome is a clinical diagnosis. It is a, a process that you were born with. It is not a process that you chose. You may have lifestyle that puts you at risk or increased risk, a sedentary lifestyle like eating incorrectly, not monitoring your blood pressure, not monitoring your blood sugar, or not receiving health care in general that puts you at increased risk. But this is not something that you were, um, th- that you chose. Like I say, you were born with it. Now you have to learn how to deal with it and to control the, the symptomatology. And that's where a good physician that is in the know can help you with this and uh, help you get control over your various problems that might exhibit themselves as a result of PCOS. Thank you, Dr. Lazarus, for allowing me to be here. It's been a pleasure. Yes, I definitely enjoyed this conversation as a woman listening here as well, outside of the doctor part of myself. (laughs) And uh, of course, guys, I will be posting the details of his clinic here. I am living and working out of the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. So if you ladies are from this area, you can possibly even join Dr. McClellan's practice and we'll give you the details of his office um, on the episode and on the postings on social media. Thank you so much. And until next time, guys, God bless. You have been listening to Santopia Podcast, a Dr. Lazarus Media Health Literacy Initiative. Please follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Dr. Irene Lazarus. To see what this chica is up to next, hit the subscribe button, rate this podcast, and most importantly, share this information with someone that could benefit from it. Thank you so much for listening. Love you. Agape.